Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right, guys. Well, we're going to continue on in our series, uh, What It Looks Like to Be a Disciple. And uh, we're going to look at several different passages this morning. We're, we're going to start out in 2 Corinthians. But uh, last week we took a trip on doing good, uh, doing good in our vocation, in our calling, in our relationships. And not that we're just do-gooders, uh, but uh, we do good out of the spiritual change that has taken place in our hearts as we have come to Christ in faith. And uh, so our mission at Topeka First Assembly is uh, to connect people to God, to others, to their calling, and to reach, uh, uh, to reach our community. And really, this too needs to be able to come out of who we are as people who have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to get back to this question, so what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean? Well, today we're going to look at these few passages, but we're going to start out with what the Apostle Paul says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And he says this. He says, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So, so first we, uh, we kind of have to ask ourselves, what, what is Paul saying here? Uh, because he was talking about a letter, we're living letters. And uh, it, really what he's talking about is a reference letter or a, a letter of introduction. And we can find that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 3. And he talks about that here where Paul is speaking of letters of introduction that was common back in their day and time. And, and when he was going to send believers uh, with a gift of benevolence to poor followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, uh, he was going to have letters of introduction sent for them. And it was, it was a letter to verify who these guys were and what they were doing, what they were about. Don't you wish... You had a letter every time that you got a phone call from a telemarketer that said Washington, D.C., or said this, that over there, and there was, and they, uh, yeah, never mind. Okay, so uh, we all get those kind of things, but these letters were important back then, and uh, we would call those reference letters in some sense. An honest reference letter is a letter that will say something about that person, about that individual. Uh, most people understand how important it is to have a good reference when you apply for a job. They uh, want to learn about that person who's applying for the position. That's the way it works. And the questions come up like this. Are they honest? Are they a person that's faithful to their word? Uh, and uh, are they, uh, do they keep a good attitude? Then finally, can they do the job like they're supposed to, this job that we are, they are applying for, or at least can they learn to do it. So I've, I've interviewed many people over the years and uh, for different positions, and it's always interesting how some people will arrive to the interview 
on time. They'll be there, they're right on time, and then you have those that, that come early, and you're like, hey, good, they're here early. And, and uh, so then on the other side, you have those that they arrive, but they don't necessarily arrive at the time that was allotted for them to come, or, or maybe they're a little late, and then they have a wonderful excuse, and it seems very legitimate. And uh, that makes a statement, just like the ones that are early. That makes a statement as well. So say these two types, both of them have good references to some level. Yet on the reference, they're asked if they are always on time. And uh, the one who was late has several references that says he was late often. And, well, his good excuse has now become a pathetic excuse, right? Because he's come in, he's late, and they say he's always late. And so the person who was there on time has references that says uh, that he was always on time. So the person who is interviewing has to really decide, is it important at this job for them to be always on time? Now, you know, some positions it's not that way, but some it is. And uh, and many and most of them, uh, it's important to be on time. And so... That interviewer then has to decide, hey, do we get this person or that person? But the question is, is did their life line up to their reference? Did their life line up to that? And so the question comes down to us, are we who we say that we are? As followers of Christ, are we who we say we are? Are we living? Are we a living reference of Jesus' work in our lives? So most of us are in the process of transformation. That's just the way it works. It isn't a one-stop shop. It takes time. A time. Our hearts are changed. Uh, and then out of that heart change comes change on the outside. But it doesn't start with the change on the outside. It starts with the work that God does in the heart of a person. It's a work that God is doing in us. And like Paul says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Everyone can read our lives and see us for who we are. He says your life is read by everybody. You are a living reference. You are an introduction to Jesus Himself. I think each and every one of us have to think through that just a little bit. You see, you become a living letter as God's Word becomes real in your life and we can be a reference of what God has done in us. And Paul tells these followers of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, although he could be referring to something. Remember, by this time, they're writing on parchment. He's referring to the Old Covenant. But on tablets of human hearts. Can you see what he's saying here? Can you look at what he's saying? He's calling these believers a letter from Christ, not a simple everyday letter, but one from the Lord, and then he says that they are a result of their, their ministry. So the Apostle Paul and the other ministers of the gospel that worked with them and saw them come to faith in Christ, for, for them, they also are a result of their ministry. Paul goes on to show us how that they haven't become a reference by inking a tattoo on their arm. It wasn't that. It wasn't about that kind of thing. 
the letter was written by the Holy Spirit on their heart, on the inside. And he even says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, these words. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. He who sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, he says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So the Holy Spirit is saying through the Apostle Paul here that each of us who are a living letter or reference for Christ and uh, you need to turn not only to the Lord in faith, that's what we do, we turn to the Lord in faith, but also we turn away from the wicked life. And uh, he, he's challenging them in some sense, and, and we have a problem here because of the word wickedness and wicked uh, in our day and age. We use it in a different sense in general, we, we, the, the name has changed in some sense, and uh, I know that when I was uh, going through my notes and building some notes uh, this week, I pulled it up on the computer. I thought, let's look at some synonyms or some words with the same meaning as wicked. And you know what the first one was that came up? Good. Good was the first one that came up. And, the, and many of you in the younger generations know what we're talking about. But when something is considered wicked, like in the car world, in the car world what will happen is somebody sees a car, it's a great car, it's fantastic, and uh, it, maybe it's really powerful or beautiful paint job, and somebody may say, man, that's wicked. Some of you know it. Yeah. And so, that's kinda, that's, so we have this kind of issue here. That's where the word good comes from related to that. So uh, the problem is, is if we, change, if we use that in the wrong part of our speech and, and relating to social issues and stuff, but people don't even understand what is really right and wrong at this point. Yet God's Word guides us here, and even our own consciences can help guide us once Christ has come into our lives. And the wickedness that Paul is talking about in, in the most simple terms is really being mischievous, maybe malicious, uh, having bad intent. And so, so what does it look like to be a disciple? Well, first of all, it looks like having a simple obedience. That simple obedience that should be in our lives. And Jesus said it this way in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8. In verses 31 and 32, it says this. should be on the screen for you. It says, To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold, uh, hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What He doesn't say is this. If you study My teaching... Or if you talk about my teachings, or if you think about my teachings. He says if we, we hold to his teachings, so uh, you, may, uh, you may say, well, you know, I talk about him, I think about it, and we should. Those are important parts. We need to be able to interact with the Word of God so that we can hold to his teaching. And that's why we're here today, as we open the Word of God and we, and we look at it, we think about it. We have to get it in our mind besides our spirit, and we have to be able to move forward. But you say, well, what if I mess up? 
what if I mess up? And well, Jesus, uh, Jesus gives us an idea of what we do if we mess up. And in his own words, he said to somebody who messed up, he said, "Go and sin no more." And we know also in First uh, John one nine, it says, "Confess your sins." Uh, it says to, oh my, I, I miss him. If you confess your sins, oh, I messed this one up today. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, it's going to come out of the head at some point. And uh, so, if we confess our sins, they have, He's faithful to forgive us, restore us. We understand that. You say, what do I do if I mess up? And well, Paul is saying kind of the same thing. He says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Simple obedience can be loving and respecting other people. Uh, so Thursday, uh, Thursday. Here's my story for the week. Thursday, I'm driving down Southwest uh, Washburn and and uh, actually going up north. And I, I'm passing the college. I pass the college, and and you know when you get over there at uh, past the college, it splits. Right? You have two. Uh, you have two different lanes set up, and it's a split. And you have uh, houses in between and all that. And so I'm driving north of there, and all of a sudden I notice the traffic starts backing up, and I, I couldn't figure out what the deal was, and, and I looked up there, and I finally saw that in our one-way lane, uh, somebody was coming down the wrong way facing myself and everyone else in our line of traffic. And so, and if, you, if that was you, God bless you, don't worry about it. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. And so what, what happens is the, the, fir, the first person, if you have a guilt, don't worry. Confess your sins, right? And so here's this person looking at everybody, and they're a little bit freaking out. I can tell they probably didn't know that they were on the wrong way, going the wrong way. And so the first person in line, you know, they go around them. And then the person right in front of me, I could tell they were just a little bit miffed. And so they, they roll their window down and they put their hand out. I was like, what are you doing? And uh, so I thought there a little bit. And, you know, at first that's the way I thought. Well, what are you doing? What are you? And then I'm thinking, well, <clears throat> need to extend some grace to them. Uh, I think we've all done that. Have you ever been to Kansas City and the one-way streets and then you got all messed up? Or I've been into a lot of big cities around the United States and around the world and you can get into places and, and you don't see their signs. Maybe the sign is not good. Or, and then you start going down the wrong way and then all of a sudden you realize this is not the right way. And, and, and then there's, thankfully there's no car, cars there and you turn around and come back and, and then you're good, right? So we've all done those things. We've all made those mistakes, and because of that, we have to be able to have a little grace towards others around us. There's, an old, there's a saying that we need to have in our vocabulary. It's, it's, just, it's this, just let it go, right? Everybody say it with me. Just let it go. Just let it go. And that's what you have to do, and that's what I had to do, is just let it go, let it be, and just move on and not make the problem any worse than what it was, right? Simple obedience. Simple obedience for us was to extend grace and to let it go. So what does it look like to be a disciple? And really it is that. It's that simple obedience. Simple obedience has to do with us as we apply the teachings of Jesus in our lives. We don't simply want to be cultural Christians who say, 
I believe the Bible. Now, I hope we believe the Bible. We should believe the Bible. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that we shouldn't be people that that's the extent of our faith is I believe the Bible. It has to be more than that. We have to be people who do trust the Lord and who trust the Scripture. Uh, we, we have to be people who are willing to engage the Word of God. Not simply know about it, but we need to be like Jesus said, that we hold to His teachings. It needs to be more than knowing about it. We have to apply that truth to our lives. Because when we do, as Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you want to be free, then you have to become a person who applies the Word of God. And that starts by heart change. That starts by allowing the Lord to change the heart, but then on the pro in the process after that, it's still a little bit of work as we allow the Spirit of God to help us and to transform how we think and how we live. Simple obedience starts with some, some of the little things. Let's look to Mar to, over into the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And this passage, is a, it's a great passage. And uh, in this scenario, Jesus, uh, it says, as Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him and fell on His knees before Him. And He says, good teacher, He asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good but God alone, except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Then we see there in verse 20, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He says, one thing you lack. Remember, Jesus understood all things and he knew this. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So this morning I pull this passage out, I pull this verse out particularly because of what Jesus said here in verse 19. Now we understand that this whole, purse, this whole passage is important and the overall point was that Jesus knew this man's heart by the Spirit. And this guy had kept all the rules. He knew all the outside stuff to be able to do. He kept all that, but his heart was bound up for the love of stuff instead of for God. And that may be the only act of simple obedience that you need to take for yourself this morning. I don't know. Because you believe Jesus died for your sin and rose from the grave. If that's the case, then take that step of faith this morning. So my, my purpose here, though, in this passage is to bring out what Jesus told this guy, what simple obedience is. Now, if you, if you look at this, it, it, it was to, uh, he was to follow the commandments, and he almost started with the commandments. But if you notice, he did not start with the commandments, Jesus. Jesus actually started by responding to how the man addressed him as a good teacher. And Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. 
in some sense, he's dealing with uh, this man's faith in the Messiah. And so this young man needed to place his faith in Christ first. But Jesus tested him to see if, if he was living out some of those difficult things. You know, the things that Paul may call wicked things like murder, adultery, stealing, lying, fraud, and do you honor your parents? See, even, even these things Jesus breaks down by His teaching throughout the Gospels, He does that, and, and He comes, brings it all back down to one thing, doesn't He? He brings it back down to the heart. It comes back down to our hearts. So really, simple obedience begins with the heart. No one starts off mature in their faith. It's a process. I don't know about you, but I, I've seen a lot of babies. We've, we've all probably seen a lot of babies, right? Been to the hospital, visited a lot, a lot of babies, and, and all those kind of things. And, and every time I've seen a baby, no matter how new they were, I never saw them up walking around, feeding themselves, and talking. I have never met a baby that was a brand new infant come out doing that. It just, it's just not going to happen, right? And it's the same for us when we come to faith in Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, we don't come out, well, yeah, we may be speaking. We may be talking. We may understand some things, but yet we are growing in our faith. There's a transformation process that has happened in our heart, yet God is still spurring us on to serve Him in a way that we haven't understood yet. He's still working on it. So what does it look like to be a disciple? We, we look at what Paul says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, You yourselves are, are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You are a reference of the transformation that Christ has made in your life. Yet it starts with the little things. And now let's move over to the book of Titus. We're going to look in the book of Titus. This is a pastoral epistle or a letter. And uh, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul starts encouraging Titus to, to lead across some different generations and genders as he tries to help the church. And uh, this, uh, got to realize, Paul's direction that he has given is first for older men and older women, and then he's uh, giving direction for younger women and younger men as well. Besides Titus himself, Titus is this young pastor, he's trying to help him to be able to lead that congregation, that group of people, and, and we know something else that from what we see in this book in Titus, that he's dealing with some wonderful people called the, uh, the, the, the uh, Cretans, and they have some challenges in their culture, but unfortunately they're not totally unlike us little bit like us in some sense. There's some others I'm sure he's ministering to. So let's look at what he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. He says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can uh, urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. 
Then we see in verse 6, he says, similar, similarly, I'm terrible with that word, uh, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set them, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Okay, so that's what it looks like to be a disciple. He didn't leave anybody out there, did he? He didn't leave anyone out. And he starts off with the, with the older men, and he says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance, so here we find, first of all, temperate, which is uh, as an adjective uh, basically meaning abstaining from lying, but also it has a wider meaning being clear-headed under all circumstances. So we're, we're being challenged. He's saying challenge these people to be able to take care of business and to be clear-headed in every circumstance. And older men, this, this applies to you as well and to keep your head together. And then there's then there's really a hot one at this point. And this is a hot one that's been around for many years. Of course, this was written a couple years back. And that hot one is worthy of respect. Now, this reveals personal dignity and purpose uh, that invites honor and respect from others. Speaking to older men. So younger people should respect those who are older. There's no question about that. Uh, respect for those who are older is, is important. But I must say that generation after generation we reap what we sow. But older people must not demand respect. Their life must be worthy of respect. There is a difference there. Some older people are worthy of respect because they are temperate and respectable. They live a life that invites others to honor them. And they respect others themselves, and in turn, others respect them. They treat others well, not less than themselves. I know a man named Jonathan and, uh, who is like this. He's someone who likely has more financial ability of all of us put together and all of our churches. He is very wealthy. And uh, he always treats others well. He didn't force respect from others for himself. He saw other people as equals, even though... His financial status may have placed him in a very high position. And other people respected him not because of his position, but because he himself respected others who were seemingly beneath him. Now Paul brings out some other things here for older men. They must be mature in their exercise of genuine love, not bitter or vindictive, they must display active endurance, that steadfast, uh, that steadfast persistence that bravely bears the trials of afflictions of life because they come, right? They happen in our lives. And when they do, it's an example to those who are younger. Men, who, men work to take on these attributes in your life. Now he switches gears and he moves over to the, the women's side, to the older ladies, and he, and he says, likewise, catch that word there, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to wine, much wine, but to teach what is good. 
So he starts off here with that word likewise, which technically it's, it's connecting back to the, the same attributes that he told the men that they should have as well. And so he's saying to the women, you need to have these in your life as well. Don't leave it all up to the guys. And so it, it demands, uh, these demands are placed on them in their own life situation. And we realize that the phrase worthy of respect goes here for the women in some sense too. Even the men's temperance, uh, temperance goes for the women. He just says it a little different. And he said, uh, addicted to wine, not to too much wine. So we know that the Cretans, he's writing to the, these, these people here that had some issues in that part of the world. and They had some problems. And Paul wanted Titus to make sure that he helped them to make some corrections as a pastor. Since Titus was a younger man, it's evident that Paul wanted him to let the older women, uh, let the older women work at engaging the younger women and teaching them. And so they were responsible to disciple them. The only effective way they could would be if they lived right themselves. So the same goes for us today. If we are going to disciple someone, we should be a person who is willing to be discipled as well especially by the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to change who we are, allow the Word of God to transform our lives. But then Paul goes on and he, sa and he starts speaking to the younger women. And, and in verse 4, we see it here. It says, and he connects this to the older women. And he says, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. Now, don't forget, husbands, Ephesians tells us, too, that you are called to love your wife as Christ loves the church, which was sacrificially giving of Himself to her. So to be self-controlled and pure forms a pair here in this passage, and self-control is a calling for all of us who are followers of Jesus. We know, according to the Scripture, that that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? To be self-controlled. It's a key for us as followers of Jesus. It's part of being a disciple. Pure means not only pure in their sexuality, but also purity of heart and mind in all of their behavior. In one way or another, Paul is saying to keep busy, keep out of mischief, and to be kind. It may be that the demands of the young woman's life with all the little kids may have tempted her to be irritable and harsh in all of her house. And so most of us know when you have little kids around, it can be challenging. It can be a crazy amount of work, right? Especially if you're going to raise them correctly. Not always easy, is it? Paul says, look, Titus, get these older women to help the younger ladies to figure out how to make it work because it's a difficult to do correctly. So the Apostle Paul, now he, he ends up now with the younger men and he says in verse 6, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what's good. And, and in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Like Paul, he's connected the older men and women, and he has connected the younger women and men. And Titus is young, and he must deliver Paul's instructions. 
uh, to the young women indirectly through the older ladies, but his, uh, but his age was an advantage for him to deal with the younger guys at this point, the younger men. If you notice the word there that the Apostle Paul writes, he says encourage. Well, that's the first imperative verb there in those passages, which is stronger than teach. Uh, since these young men were inclined to be impulsive and unrestrained, their basic need is to be self-controlled. Cultivating balance and self-restraint in daily practice in their life, it was a quality of which Paul found it necessary to remind, especially those who were the Cretan believers. It's the same for younger men today. First and foremost, be self-controlled. But just like Titus was supposed to be an example, you too need to build these qualities there in verses 7 and 8. Become a person of integrity. A person who's serious about life. That doesn't mean you suck on lemons and never laugh. It's okay. We know that joy, the joy, of the, uh, joy is also a fruit of the Spirit as well, right? There, there's nothing wrong with that. But does your laughter come at the cost of your integrity or sound speech? The last attribute that you need to build is sound speech. Is your language the same as those who don't follow Christ? Is your language the same? A pastor can never tell. <laughs> Sometimes you'll talk to somebody, they find out you're a pastor, and they'll say, oh, brother, very nice to meet you. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise God. I can't think of any other Christian word. <laughs> But we know, and we know in the presence of God, it really comes down to this. If you're a man or a woman, if you're younger or if you're older, you are a living reference letter, a reference of inter or a letter of introduction to Jesus to others. We all have been called to be a disciple of Jesus. Your stage in life will change. Those things change where, where we are and all that. That changes. Your needs may change. Even your responsibilities may change. But one thing is for sure. Allow God to help you by just simple, by simple obedience. Allow Him to help you to live out for Him through simple obedience. Being obedient in the little things. In the small things. Because you're a living letter. You are a living letter. Your life is being written today. Now, you may have some chapters in your life that have passed. And you probably there may be some chapters in your life that you would prefer to throw away. You don't want to see those chapters anymore. Maybe the Lord will allow you to edit some of those. Maybe not. Maybe you'll just set them on the shelf. But today, you can write a new chapter in your life as you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to move forward, let some things go, and allow God to work in you. Would you stand with me this morning? You are a living letter. Each and every one of us are called to serve Him, to follow Him, to walk with Him. And I believe that God has a wonderful plan for you a plan for your life as you allow Him to work in you. I want to pray for you this morning and then our prayer teams will come down 
you need any kind of prayer, they'll be glad to pray with you. But let me pray with you this morning. Father, help us. We are your people. And Father, we ask you to help us to be able to live out our faith. And Father God, we pray that you would help us to be able to be witnesses of Christ in this community, in the world we live in. Father, may our hearts be changed first. And then may our lives be changed on the outside only as you work in our hearts. Help us, Lord God, as we open ourselves up to you and allow you to work in us. Father, we give you thanks this morning.